Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm Mike Francatelli. This is Mike Delic. Of course, you know that already if you're tuning in. If you're new, that's that's what you're listening to. I mean, you clicked on it somehow. You, you, you've known. You're not just floating in an endless abyss of podcast, infinite podcast land, and then just some, all of a sudden Mike Delic just starts playing somewhere, and you're like, what is this? Who is this? How did this get on? Why is this guy talking? Why is this guy still talking? You know, something like that. So, yeah. I should stop introducing the show with the title and my name. There's really no need to do that. You guys are are grown adults. You're all intelligent. You know what you clicked on. You know what you're listening to. Maybe I'll do it like a book where in the where like a book there's like a title at the top that tells you like every book always has the name of the the book on like the left hand side and then the name of the chapter on the top maybe I'll do that for the podcast just like every 30 seconds be like you're listening to Mike Adelic I'm Mike Brancatelli I suppose they did that in radio too WNBC you're listening to the hottest jams of the west coast 99.9 KFNM hot rock <laughs> I remember when I was growing up there was a station called K-Rock in, in New York and uh yeah, there would always be like the guy. I always thought, yeah, that 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 was it. That was one station I remember. K- and then there was Hot ninety seven, and I always thought like there was probably, I think there was only like one white guy that worked at Hot ninety seven, and he was just the guy that did the voice that was. You're listening to Hot ninety seven, the most fire beats bumping from West Coast to East Coast hip hop. Hot ninety seven. <laughs> Friday night. Funk Master Flex night. That was a that was a nice night. Funk Flex on the ones and twos, dropping fire beats, dropping bombs. Funk Flex would drop bombs. That's what he do. He would do. He would play a song. He would play a song, and then he would get so worked up about how good the song was. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't. He couldn't handle himself anymore. He would be like, "Oh no, I gotta take that one back." And sometimes he would take it back a couple different times. I remember one time, I think it was, I don't know if it was 50 Cent or G-Unit. And he was just like, he was like, oh man, that beat is ridiculous. We got to take that back. And he was like, and then, and then he would drop a bomb and it'd be like, and then the guy, the white guy would come on and be like, funk master flex night. And then he'd be like, we got to drop another bomb. We got to take that back. And then he would take it back again and he would give it a little mix. Uh, the good old days of radio, but not anymore. We're in podcast land, podcast land where anybody can have a podcast about anything and anybody can listen to it. And you know what you're listening to. You're here. You're with me. You're with Mike Adelic. Thanks for being here and listening to me talk about uh, psychedelics, consciousness, uh, funk master flex. I don't know. Pepperoni pizza sometimes. Probably my death row meal. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to do like a whole thing on this one, I think, about stuff going on and all that kind of stuff. I just want to get this out. I had a great conversation with Wyan. Uh, Wyan. <laughs> not going to edit that out. I took his last name and I put it on to the first part of his first name. Uh, Ryan Westrom. And uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan is, um, I mean, a fantastic individual. I, I, he's been listening to the show and following my work. I mean, I just can't, I'm so filled with gratitude and, and love that, that people that are wanting to be on the show, that are doing good things like Ryan, 
that are also fans and listening, man, it just, it just all goes around, you know, the love and the support and uh, the gratitude. It's all cyclical. It's all going around. Reciprocity, I guess is, is the word for it, right? So, um, so yeah, Ryan is the co-author of the Psychedelics Integration Handbook, which is awesome. It, it's so awesome. And he sent it to me and I have been kind of skimming through it here and there. And I almost kind of feel bad that I haven't like mastered it yet, <laughs> you know, before our conversation. But, uh, but it's like 400 pages and there's just, I mean, it's like never ending because it's a workbook too. And, and of course I'm integrating, so I'm using it. And it's so great because you can, you can write in it, you know, and as Ryan says, you'll hear him say, you know, make it your own. I mean, that's really the, it's, it's just, um, it's amazing. And these amazing quotes by James Fadiman and Stanislav Grof just, fully endorsing the book and saying it's just like the most amazing thing in the, in the whole world. And uh, it really truly is. I mean, I, I can't tell you, you open it up. I just open it to any, I'll do it right now, open it to any page right now. And what are we talking about? We're talking about uh, colonization, uh, reconciling. The colonizer part wants to keep itself safe and in control. Uh, the pro- process, not an event. Like these are I don't know. To me, it's just like, wow. Okay, another page. Active imagination, synchronicity, archetypes, symbols, dreams. Uh, you know, the history. Talking about Groff, Maria Sabina, uh, Carl Jung, uh, cannabis, everything. Questions like a frequently asked questions section. You know, what do I do if I'm, you know, do, if I'm taking this substance or that substance? How to work with your shadow? Um, you know, points about the the psychedelic renaissance that's going going on right now you know facilitation um addiction i mean it goes on and on and on i'm sorry i'm, I'm kind of <laughs> having one of those like where i'm not really burping but almost things as i'm doing that apologize uh but it's really uh it's really truly an amazing work and and so if you're interested in if you're interested in in psychedelic journeying and which i believe you you probably are Get the Psychedelics Integration Handbook. I mean, it's fantastic. Talking about uh, Akashic fields, Sanskrit records, Hinduism. Uh, you know, it, it's just, I mean, endless. Subatomic levels, uh, astrology. It, it, it goes on and on and on and on and on. It, it, it's really, it's everything. Uh, anyway, so that's it. I just wanted to say that because I'm, I'm just impressed. I'm impressed. I'm, I'm impressed and I'm also like, I wish I could have done more to, to have, like, I feel like we could have had a better conversation if I like really dug into it, dug into it front and back. But I opened to some sections that I felt was, uh, you know, appealing to me. And, um, you know, uh, it's difficult. I'm doing, doing the show and a lot of people send me pamphlets and books and things that they want me to read and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, now after talking to Ryan, having the book, I'm so glad that he sent me the book and I have it, and I have it to work with. We're going to do a part two because there's so much to dive into. So we just, we just scratched the tip of the iceberg on this one. But Ryan, Dr. Ryan Westrom is a nationally recognized psychedelic integration expert. He's been working in this field for 15 years. His primary focus has been working with individuals, groups. He uh, facilitates uh, experiential therapy sessions and integrates psychedelic journeys, helping people to heal and really transform, you know, transform their lives, figure out where they're stuck and how to move forward and how to plug in, in what they've learned from these altered states, experiences into waking life, three-dimensional, physical, meat suit, consciousness reality. And he speaks on, like I said, tons of topics that like, it's filled with, you know, filled up in the book, dream work, integration therapy, 
uh, all kinds of things. He's the founder of uh, HealingSoulsLLC.com, PsychedelicIntegration.net. He's also a psychedelic integration on Instagram. Follow him there. And he, uh, he, like, he offers a, a multitude of models ranging from hypnosis to various forms of breathwork practices to um, therapy in working with wholeness in, in yourself. And uh, he's a registered integration therapist for the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS. He's on the map, as well as uh, the co-author of this amazing book. So uh, yeah, check it out. You could go to his website to get the book, psychedelicintegration.net. It's also available on Amazon, I, I, I suppose. But, you know, go support it at, uh, buy it from the local, get it from the source. It's great. I really, you know, this is one of those conversations where, um, yeah, it's just there's so, there's so much. You'll, you'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll get into some stuff. Uh, oftentimes I'm thinking, oh, man, I wish I had a better, I wish I had as much of uh, depth of knowledge and experience as Ryan does, but I guess that's why he's on the show. So I, I ask the questions, but I know I could, I, could, uh, I could step it up, I think, and I think we're going to dive even deeper on the part two because, um, uh, like I said, there's just so much here. All right, that's pretty much it. If you love, and, and if you love the show, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com. You can donate a dollar a month, patreon.com uh, slash Mike Brank. You know, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review. And uh, yeah, what, what's uh, someone left a five-star review. They said, silly name, great show. I mean, yeah, I don't know, the name, whatever. I'm, the name of the show is just the name of the show. I, I'm, I'm Mike Brancatelli. The show is Mike Adelic. I, I don't go around saying to people, hey, I'm Mike Adelic. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a psychedelic guy. I'm just, you know, I don't know. I was trying to think of a name for the show, you know, and I was thinking like, oh, what's the name? Like on the fringes of reality, like uh, the, the newosphere of the nexus of the newosphere, like fractalization and fragmentation of the infinite cosmic soup. Like I, I just kept thinking of all these things. I'm like, just sounds too complex. Sounds like I'm trying too hard, too complicated, pretentious. I don't know. So I just, I was like, all right, one day I just thought, all right, what about Mycadelic? That works. But I, I've, I'm having thoughts, not just because of this one person who left a five-star review, by the way, and thank you for leaving a five-star review, who said, silly name, great show. But I'm thinking, is the name of the show maybe preventing people from, who aren't psychedelic like from getting into the show? Because I kind of I want to bring more people in. I want to invite more people in. I don't want to necessarily turn people away. I want to make, the, and you guys, longtime listeners of the show, know you know, it's not always revolving around psychedelics, right? Like one of my friends the other day was listening to a conversation I had with J.P. Sears on the show, Ultra Spiritual. We didn't talk about psychedelics once. I've had Thaddeus Russell on the show. We didn't talk about psychedelics really at all, except for he told me he had a bad trip with mushrooms and it's not really his thing. So, okay, you know, but all there's, I'm interested in all kinds of things and all kinds of people. I mean, I had the, uh, factory farm guy on the show, you know, they just did different, different things, different kinds of different. What do you call the thing that encompasses, encompasses all that? Like, I don't know, like a conscious portal or something. So conscious, the conscious lens, whatever, but let me know, should I change the show name? Should, do you think it's not, um, do you think it's keeping people away? Do you think people are unable to you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, is it, is there a barrier because it's like mycadelic and there's like a triangle with an eye in it and people are just like, oh, this is probably some weird psychedelic thing. And, you know, it, I mean, it kind of is, but it's also a lot more than that. So let me know what you think. 
love me, support the show, love the show. I love you. Uh, you know, Barney, we all love each other. I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. Mr. Rogers, you know, take your shoes off when you come in my house. Uh, you know, introduce yourself to your neighbors, say hello to them. Just say, hi, say, say what your name is. You know, just how many, how many people live in places where you don't even know the people around you? Just say hi to them. All right. I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much it. I'm doing my first inaugural. Is it inaugural? No, first launch the mind jam tonight. So that's going to be cool. Um, and uh, looking forward to that at the Denver Psychedelic Club. What else? Uh, I don't know. Just enjoy this conversation. Let me know what you think. Reach out to me. I haven't been on social media so much. Uh, warning. I haven't been on social media so much because I have a social media addiction. And uh, it's bad. I, I, I waste time on social media. I look at things that I, that I probably shouldn't be looking at or that just don't serve me and aren't productive to my vision and mission. And uh, I don't like it. I feel shitty. I feel shitty after. And like I, sometimes I'll fall into like jealousy and comparison and I don't want to do that. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe that's on me and I got a lot of work to do. But I think right now putting social media outside of my uh, of access so much. So I've set like time limits on how much I could use and locked it on my phone. Um, really actually revolutionized my phone. Shout out to Tristan Harris. If you don't know who Tristan Harris is, I'd like to get him on the podcast. Maybe someone could like tweet at him. By the way, that's a great way to get people on the podcast. If you want me to talk to somebody, like just tag me in a post or a tweet or Instagram thing and just be like, Hey, you got to talk to this guy, um, this lunatic. And Tristan Harris has this great website. I forget, damn, I forget what the name is, but Google Tristan Harris. He tells you basically good ways to organize your smartphone, turn it to grayscale, move things in folders, set time limits, disable Siri search, like all this useful stuff to, to prevent time sucks and wastes on your phone because it can be, it, it's bad, you know, for a lot of people. So I haven't been on social media so much. And, uh, you know, I guess maybe people that have messaged me, I haven't gotten back to them or I didn't do a good job maybe like promoting some things, but yeah, I don't know. I'm just not going to be on social media as much anymore. And, you know, I, I could hear Gary V, you know, shouting and be like, you kidding me? You got to be on social media, TikTok, bro, LinkedIn. It's where it's at. What are you doing? You're a piece of shit. You know, if you're not on social media, you might as well, you know, go to the fucking graveyard, dig six feet in and jump in. Just bury yourself, dude. It's fucking over, man. No complaining. Hustle and grind, grind it all away, grind yourself into a little fucking, you know, coffee pellet, put it in, all right, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, that's it. I haven't been on social media so much, so I don't know. Here's the podcast. This is what I'm doing. I love podcasting. I love talking to people. Uh, everything else, not so much. So, without further ado, let's get in this conversation with Dr. Wine. Uh, <laughs> I did it again. I did it again. <laughs> Dr. Ryan Westrom. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. 
to Noah and about synchronicity and I just love the flow of you guys you're just like and sometimes what's super funny is the conversation is just like classic psychedelic where fuck it's going into 18 different directions at once and you're like yeah yeah all following it simultaneously right maybe I should rename my show eight different directions at once I don't know that no, <laughs> I tend to do that a lot yeah it's beautiful it's really beautiful thanks so, appreciate that yeah, so when, when I was writing it, that's to go back to what you were saying, is it, it's written for like my 12-year-old self. So I started really young. I was um, grateful to have people in my life that protected me and hanging out with older kids. I had a real cosmic experience with psilocybin and just not knowing what to do with it. I just integrated on my own and books fell in my lap. I was uh, grateful to come across Stanislav Graf's book, Psychotherapy, LSD Psychotherapy, reading the Kool-Aid acid test. So I have a little bit of, you know, deadhead in me. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a balance of, you know, the merry pranksters and like this therapeutic. So I do advocate for recreational use. I love the therapeutic value of it, Mike, but it's a balance, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, and like, you know, Groff says like they're tools, you know, and, and it's like they, they can be used in a number of different ways, all the way from, you know, having a little microdose, taking a little bit at a concert to like conjuring dark sorcery and sigil magic or it's like, you know, the, the range of use on these things is like, they're not inherently good, but they're not inherently, you're not inherently anything. They're just tools, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Don't get me started on Crowley and tarot cards. I'll be like doing LSD and like, here, let's pull out the tarot. And they'll be like, no, dark magic. So it's, it's wonderful. I think they're spontaneous catalysts for, for growth. And if anything, exploration of self for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I, I did use the book in that way. Like I was kind of, I was poking around and looking at different things. I mean, the uh, section of Groff and Jung and uh, mythology and archetypes and uh, astrology and stuff like I found to be really interesting because, you know, at, at first I was just like, okay, yeah, like integration. Like I've, I've been hearing a lot about integration. A lot of people are talking about integration, but I just, I want to read something from, from the book uh, if I can real quick, because I think it's just awesome. So this is from uh, Dr. James Fodeman, author of the Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. He says, this is without a doubt the most comprehensive and detailed book on psychedelic integration available. In addition, it is far more. Rather than being no more than an excellent manual of methods, which it is, it goes into great depth about every method, presents alternatives to almost every activity, includes a history of how 
and from who the methods developed and then facilitates readers in making their own choices, how to proceed through self-directed questions and practices. And he, he goes on to say more. But really, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, it's like 500 pages and there's everything in here. There's practices, there's, me- there's um, modes that you can... Uh, do like you have these certain kinds of exercises journaling aspects so i guess yeah walk me through because this seems this seems like would it be safe to say that this is sort of like a representation of your life's work it would be yeah i think um the most important thing when we wrote this book and before i the humbling statement that dr fadiman wrote is just amazing and it, it really means a lot to me the work in this book is designed to personalize psychedelic integration it's, it's my life's work, as I alluded to from an early age working with these medicines, but it's giving a profound opportunity for anybody to make it their own. I want people to be able to look at psychedelic integration and go, okay, this is what I want to do with it. This is, this is what's working for me and this is what's not. All the while making it extremely practical. I think what we're, we're, we're losing sight of sometimes within the psychedelic realm is the lack of practicality. Like, what are we going to actually do and bring back? You know, we still need to know our zip code. We still need to know, like, okay, bills are paid on this day. And how can we integrate that into life, how we relate to people? It's all, it's all fundamentally important. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if what what would be the purpose other than to integrate, right? You can't live in that realm. You know, no. you, it, it, I mean, as much as maybe one would want to, or maybe we're going to, uh, but it's, it wouldn't even be us. It would be different. Right. So, uh, and it's like consuming psychedelics is a symbiotic kind of participatory experience. Right. I mean, we have to kind of be involved with these, these things have to be involved with us to yes. be functional. Right. I love that you use the term symbiosis because I advocate for walking with it and integrating how it's talking to us as well as us integrating with it. And it's a, it's a dialogue. It's a symbiotic dialogue for sure, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about, um, I, like a lot of people's, you know, there's obviously a lot of people say a lot of things, but, but, you know, there's a, a phrase that a lot of people throw out there from Alan Watts, which is once you get the message, hang up the phone. And I, and I, you know, I'm not so sure about that myself. I mean, I think it's, I think it makes sense to a degree. I don't think it's an all encompassing phrase for everything. As you were saying, you make it personally, you make it for yourself. Have you heard that before? And what, and what do you think about that? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great statement and it's used a lot in this integration office is okay, how much do we need to work with it? How much sobriety do we need under our belt? And the conversation of when do we hang up the phone is super vital. But the argument taking it both ways is am I looking at everything? Am I actually using these sessions be it therapeutically or are we using recreational experiences with action, right? Are we actually trying to cultivate something or are we just doing it passively? Okay. Because then you could hang up the phone and you're like, well, I need to do it more. And a lot of people in my office will say that I'm seeking more. I feel compelled to do more. Well, then the catch 22 is, is what are we looking at? What are we Mm -hmm. looking to get more? You know, the antidote to that question would be Mike. Okay. Well, what are we looking for? Right. And that brings up intention. That brings up because as you know, if we're going to hang up the phone, then we've seen enough space aliens or we've seen God or we've understand the divine of a 5-MEO experience, right? Then maybe we just need some rest. I would argue hanging up the phone is maybe we haven't integrated it all or maybe 
we're not practicing it in real life. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And I think it's like, you know, hang it up, but then you, you pick it back up when you're ready. Like you can't take the test if you, if you haven't studied or you can, but you might fail. Right. I mean, I remember in, in school, sometimes I would be, I wouldn't do the homework. I'd ace the test and I'd be like, Oh, I figured this out, but I didn't really do the homework. So I wasn't really getting the depth and breadth of knowledge and experience that one would get when when diving into that. And this is interesting because, you know, for my journeying, it oftentimes comes up where I say, oh, yeah, I've I've healed that kind of uh, trauma that I had from childhood. I've I've seen that parental kind of stuff and I've been there. But like a tree with its roots going in every different directions, there's all these pieces that I didn't see at hidden layers and hidden depths. So yeah, it's, it, it's sort of never ending, right? I mean, there's, yeah. it, it's like, it's a never ending thing. Well, I, I, I'm the first one to advocate. I know nothing. And that's because of psychedelics. It's, it's too profound. I remember a journey I had where I was just downloaded with what was like a DNA helix times a billion. And I just oh. said, you know, I just put my hands in the air, Mike. And I was like, no, there's plenty to explore in this realm. There's yeah. plenty to explore in this universe. There's plenty to explore in our biological healing and our biographical storytelling. It's about the courage that we have, the safety that we can build with the community is really archetypal too, right? It's important to be able to say, hey, I'm going to dive into this, but I better have a safe environment or group of people to be working with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I kind of want to back up a little bit, Ryan, and just kind of address the word of integration too, because like I said, it kind of gets thrown around a lot and, you know, uh, and I see some people talking about it in ways that don't touch on the depths in which you're going to here. Uh, so, and then there's, there's maybe misconceptions and you probably get this too, right? Like, and you make this distinction in the book where you say, you know, the difference between integration and aftercare. So, you know, maybe just for the people that are listening out there who aren't necessarily totally familiar with what integration is, or maybe they've heard it and they kind of know what would be your definition of what uh, psychedelic integration looks like. Um, I believe psychedelic integration is an active process. And the first and foremost thing is active, meaning that it's physical embodied, it's cognitively embodied, and it's emotionally embodied. I talk a lot about unlocking all three of those. Mm -hmm. Similar to a cup of coffee is your physical body might want it, but your emotions are you're not ready for it because it's 10 o'clock at night. And I sound like I'm digressing here for a second. But integration is important because we need to unlock our physical integration within the experience, the emotional integration within the experience, and the cognitive explanation of what we just had. And if we can interweave all three of those, all the while talking about, okay, what is it that's heartfelt and most important to be processing now? So mm. the differentiation of integration and aftercare is we're trying to really kind of chew on it or cultivate it. I love using a garden as an analogy for that, right? Is what needs to be looked on with more focus. Some plants need more tender care. Some plants need more light. Some plants need different soil types. It's all about really exploring that nuance of each and every experience. Every mm -hmm. psychedelic experience, be it an ayahuasca ceremony or a 5-MEO experience or a large psilocybin, is going to bring up different ways that we're going to need to integrate these. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and it depends on where you go with mm -hmm. those too, right. right? Like, I mean, maybe you had a spiritual emergence and, you know, maybe you had like a really totally profound experience, or maybe you just had something that was kind of challenging to the body. Yeah. So it, 
so it, it really depends on the, the depth of the experience as well, right? Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that speaks on what ends up coming out. We don't know what we're going to be integrating until after the experience and what's still meandering through our consciousness, right? I recently just was talking to an integrative client of mine that's dealing with chronic depression. And they thought it, the classic, you know, bullshit one hit pill is, oh, I'm going to come back and everything's going to be fluffy cotton candy and unicorns. And the, the 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 unfortunate nature is he didn't have any time to prep, and, and and not to say that my services were necessary, but someone should have shared with him that that's where the work is going to be done is through the preparation and the integration. The session mm -hmm. is, you know, it's it's convoluted. We don't know what's going to come up, and then as a clinician or a support staff, you have to go. Okay, what are you digesting? What is the problem? We need to find what is that you're chewing on, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always like the analogy because it just fits, it just makes so much sense of like, I mean, it's called, uh, people call it taking a trip, tripping. And when you go on vacation, it's the same thing. You know, like I went to, I remember when I went to Thailand, I bought a one-way ticket to Bangkok. Like I really prepared for that, you know, experience. Like I prepared, you know, I packed, like I was ready to go and I didn't know what I was going to encounter. And I kind of didn't really know who I was going to be when I came back. But yeah, similar thing. It's like if you're not preparing, you're just kind of like going to the airport, getting on a plane with no luggage, no suitcase, and no idea of what you're doing or where you're going or what to, you know. Right. So yeah, I love that analogy. It just, uh, yeah, it fits, it fits for me. I can imagine. And yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and then one of the things that I, f I found fascinating too that I didn't, I didn't really know, but I guess I had an inclination of, and what you put in in the book was how how much Stanislav Grof has gone beyond what, uh, I mean, you know, Jung has gone beyond Freud and what Groff has done has gone beyond uh, Jung in terms of working with uh, non-ordinary states of, of consciousness. I was wondering maybe if you could like touch on some of that a little bit because, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm pretty familiar with Groff, but I, I'm not super, uh, I haven't like really dug into a lot of his stuff. I mean, I kind of like have heard things like on side pieces and, and stuff, but Right. So I, I had the privilege um, of authoring this book with Jay and Jay and I um, found Stan uh, holotropic breathwork community uh, to be profoundly supportive. And he created holotropic breathwork to in the prohibition of psychedelics in the 70s and 80s. And he's still using holotropic breathwork as an integrative exercise. But Dr. Groff got LSD from Albert Hoffman and send us laboratory. So this man is like a preliminary figure in the LSD movement. Yeah. He's sitting for over 4,000 clinical legal sessions. And as he did that, he realized that there was all these maps of consciousness is what he describes, be it the perinatal matrices of rebirthing, the biographical or biological explanation of what our birth is. And they were all being played out within an LSD experience. Hmm. He also started to recognize as one of the founders of transpersonal psychology, psychology outside of oneself, that we are archetypes that are beyond cognitive or collective archetypes. That it's like a point where we are becoming something that has past lives, that we've learned about past lives and psychedelic experiences, that we've learned about biographical trauma that could be healed. 
And throughout his conversations with his clients and his patients, he started to recognize that the LSD and the psychedelics was healing because it was giving the individual perspective and a map. So you could start to feel what it was like to go through this journey, almost as a the hero's journey, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that... Um, oh, go ahead and keep going. Oh, no. no, no I was but... just going to say the last thing, which is priority, is that these are catalysts, right? For us to be aware of what's going on. He loves to say they're spontaneous catalysts that we're developing to heal ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. It's unique to our karma. Yeah. But within within that, are there there are these certain patterns, right? That he's identified the I think it was the what the four patterns of the psyche. Yeah. So he talks about it is what's called the perinatal matrices, and there's the four of them. Yeah, and it's he he coined it the BPMs, and there's one, two, three, and four, and each one is identified to part of the birth order. One is the ambiotic fluid sitting in the womb. The second one is the constriction starting in the birth canal. The third perinatal matrices is when the constrictions start to get more and more rapid and the potential for birth is coming. And then the fourth one is the classic birth or what he then identifies as a death rebirth. And these can either come linearly through a psychedelic experience or what he says is identified in a cyclical manner and at any given moment you could be stuck in one of them and stuck meaning uh the assigned meaning being that you're in it right so i've had experiences where i'm in psilocybin journeys and just in the womb for the whole journey Mm. and you start to recognize a connection mike where for myself and i only speak for myself and not my clients i i was 30 days late so i was a late baby And so I can always identify with this womb-like feeling of like, hey, I don't need to go anywhere. I'm super chill. Whereas when I start to get into that third perinatal matrices of the constriction, I'm challenged by it because it was new to me. And so Uh then I start to talk to clients about it and they're like, they can recognize and they'll go back to their mother or their, their birth experience and identify psychedelic things that they witnessed in their birth. And so they're really reliving it. Wow. Phenomenal. And they come out flush and they're like, they look like they're 15 years younger. It's pretty mind boggling. And and you've had experiences like that too? Yeah. Personally, I've had a couple of experiences where um, I've felt actually, I have two beautiful daughters and I've felt um, one of them had the um, umbilical cord wrapped around their neck. So I could actually feel in my psychedelic experience, the empathy of what that was like for my daughter to go through being born with the umbilical cord wrapped around their neck. It was, it was almost transformational and uh, a karmic bond. It was quite, quite intense. Yeah. So does something like that leave uh, a lasting imprint on uh, the child? Yes, without a doubt. And so what then you also, it's a very great question. And what ends up happening is you'll start to see that manifest in the psychedelic experience where they might want to like put their hands around their neck or they might start coughing or choking. And what's uh, constantly reported, Mike, is that they go, oh, I felt as if I couldn't breathe. And we keep exploring that in an integration session and talking about it. And then all of a sudden they'll have this memory as if it was like a dream. 
And then it's corroborated by their parent to say, oh, yeah, you have the umbilical cord wrapped around your neck. And it might play out for years and years and years. It might play out once and be done, but it can manifest physically within the experience, which is an advocacy for, you know, a healthy sitter to protect the person. Sure. And and so would that be considered trauma? It, it could possibly, yeah, birth trauma. Yeah. Yeah, birth and, trauma. Wow. Yeah. And um, that's where Graf, I think, bypasses Freud and Jung is it's not the tabula rasa that Freud says we're born with, that we're born with these imprints through birth, through past lives. And that's happened as well. I've seen people literally fighting it out on like a battlefield in like some Norwegian battle that they experienced in the psychedelic world. And they come out and they have a shoulder surgery that they had in this lifetime that they felt a past life go right through their experience. It's intense. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I had, I had what I am calling a past life experience. Um, and it, and it happened in an ayahuasca ceremony and there was a lot of like things that, that connect to the experience, but basically it was, I was in Egypt, uh, and, um, it's kind of a long story, but but basically I had I I was basically like sacrificed or like killed in like the public square. Wow. And they and they were like ripping my intestines out, but I was born with a scar on my stomach, like a like a small like mark, like w- like right on like the bottom part of my abdomen. Wow. Yeah, and there's a ton of other things that happen too, but um yeah, so Graf would say, and in, in, in my my work, and that's what I articulate, and thank you so much for sharing that. It's a beautiful yeah. story. And I think there's truth in it. And that's a large aspect of integration is letting the person understand that as their truth. We don't know. I mean, anyone that says, oh, well, I, I get just alarmingly upset with people that try to position of this is what it is, this is what it isn't. The individual that experiences the psychedelic session, that's their truth. And so your story is beautiful. And if that relates to you as a spiritual emergence or connecting and gives you peace, well, fuck. Why would someone try to take away that, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And yeah, it just, it's, it, it, that makes so much sense. I just like the way that you kind of, you know, said that in, in that way, because it's like, well, yeah. You know, that who is anybody else to say like what is and what isn't, right? I mean, these these experiences are supremely personal. And, you know, like you were mentioning the last podcast that I had, you know, talking about synchronicities and, um, you know, these kinds of things that happen. We live in a magical world. I mean, it, it really is if you want it to be. Right. Yeah. And, if, and I think that we want it to be. And, and that's that seems to be it seems to be things flow a little bit more easily and that there's more of a sense of meaning and purpose when you uh, accept the the kind of magical world that we live in rather than this sort of just closed case materialist reductionist kind of view right and i think that that begs to even being played out in psychedelic sessions is people's control and power mm-hmm. if they if they choose to shut off the answers or the opportunities to explore it's their control and power that they're fighting against. And they maybe it's what they were taught. Maybe it was the dogma that they were introduced to consciously or unconsciously. But the large aspect of what I hear you saying is, is that freedom of exploring 
and then surrendering to the unknown. I mean, at the end of the day, who are we to say what the answer is? Yeah. And so you, you, you fighting, fighting our power. That sounds interesting. Like, and I, and I feel like I can relate to this as well. Cause I think I've had some experiences like that and I can't, I can't really identify what, what it would be. Why would anyone want to fight the ability to have ultimate power and to make decisions and choose for themselves? What, where would that kind of thing come from? One of the examples that is suicidal ideation or identifying with a personality characteristic. So an aspect of my profession is we as therapists or clinical psychologists are supposed to diagnose, right? And if the individual has a diagnosis, then they feel as if there's some sort of assigned meaning to their, their disorder or their lifestyle or their personality. Well, I'm the opposite. I don't want to assign a meaning of what that is. It's separate of who we are. And so fighting the power, when I say that, Mike, I'm talking about they're trying to hold on to their identity, their ego, for lack of better terms, their ego structure, okay. right? Yeah. And so if they have suicidal ideation, my heart goes out to them because what they want to do is if we break that with a psychedelic session or if they're challenged with a different vantage point, immediately that's going to challenge their core script of who they are. And if they don't have integration or an understanding of putting that back together in a more healthy, holistic way, they're actually losing a part of who they were or who they thought they were, even if it was depression or even if it was with suicidal ideation. Yeah. And so it's important to kind of meander that golden thread for them and say, okay, we're losing parts of who we identified as, but that's not serving us. Let's release that power and control of holding on to it. Right. So is that, would that be like tied up into a fear of death? I mean, it is a death, <laughs> right? Yeah. And as you know, because you looked at the book, but that's what the end is that we, you know, in kind of an existential kind of manner with a little sadism is designing your own death. Right. Mm. That's the ultimate reason why we're here is finding purpose, but also being comfortable with what's the outcome. What's going to happen? Inevitable. Yeah. 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 And, and we live in and we live in a world that uh, really puts it under the rug and doesn't pay the respect to the death process. Mm -hmm. in, in what I feel in, in the kind of mainstream way, it's just, yeah. I grew up uh, Catholic, you know, I went to like the Catholic funerals yep. and everyone's like, oh, somber and in a suit. Like, man, I want my death to be a party. Like I want totally. to be a celebration. Like I want, I want people to be like excited, celebrating the life that was passing into the other one. But we have such a perverted view of that. And it's really in this kind of fear-based paradigm because you, you can really control a lot of people with, with the fear of death, right? But it's coming. It's here. I mean, we, I could die right now. Who knows? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's lovely what you just said is being able to throw the party and the expression of. And it's not to minimize the importance of why we're here. I think that's one of the conundrums people have is if they think they're honoring death, it means there's some, you know, depressed, morbid nihilist. But really what you are is you're like, you're just expressive. You're living life. And that's what I've found within the work as well is these individuals who have death anxiety, be it with stage four cancer or that they're just so fearful of losing control of the life experience, they come out of these experiences with psychedelics with a much more profound gratitude for living in this impermanent world. 
day to day with the simplicity, with the mindfulness and presence, knowing that, yeah, one day it's on the horizon, but in the meantime, they're going to live. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and one day it is on the horizon, but you know, like it could happen at any point in time, although we we're sort of conditioned in this mind, you know, in this, in this, in this, uh, kind of monotony sort of of a lot of people's lives of just kind of wake up, go to work, come home, eat dinner, watch a little Netflix, go back to, you know, and that's just sort of the program that we're in or whatever. So it's it, a psych and a psychedelic experience can really rattle that, that cage. You know, I remember hearing Paul Stamets say on Joe Rogan's podcast about when his father was dying and his father had never had a psychedelic experience. And he was, he was debating about whether to give him uh, psilocybin, but he ultimately chose not to because he didn't want his father to experience like regret or sh or any of this thing. It, it, it's it's an interesting concept because I oftentimes think about how much my parents could benefit from a psychedelic experience, how much love and connection we could have as a family coming together and sharing in that beauty. But I, I you know, I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not giving I'm not like giving up hope. But I'm just saying it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And it could really uh, rock their entire worlds completely, you know? Yeah, I, and I would love to kind of expound on that in, with deep appreciation for the changing of the mind book by Michael Pollan. That's really influenced, I think, a lot of people that don't know the magnitude of psychedelics. And so to carry over what Paul said about his father, I would agree. I think mm. people have to find the medicine on their own. People have to find the psychedelic experience with emotional intelligence, with an educational background of the magnitude of all the things that could happen, be it existential crises, spiritual emergence, or profound challenges. I mean, really, and this is a vague number, but like 90% of clients that are integrating with me are like, it's rocked my world. Well, the people that can handle that cataclysmic change are because they've done the preparation work and the integration. When Michael's book came out, it opened the door to a bunch of people that I don't think are ready for it without reading more about the literature, more about the historical perspective, more about, and that's a part of what my book is doing too, is educating all the things you need before you take a six hour journey with psilocybin or LSD is advocacies of being prudent and i mean it can change your whole world yeah yeah and it can be a very destructive process i think a lot of times people think and you know with this sort of ayahuasca tourism boom you know there's a right. lot of like well i'm gonna go and i'm gonna get this love and light energy and healing and like maybe that happens for some people but maybe some people go down there and they have their entire world crumbles to pieces. And by world, I mean their identity, their uh, sense of self, their sense of uh, who they are and their place in the world, what they believe, what they know to be true. That can be really challenging, which is why the prep and everything that you're talking about is super important. So yeah, I always tell people when they ask me, I say, look, you, you got to be ready for this. You know, this is not, you know, if you're going, if you're wanting to go deep, you know, you have to be really well, ready to die. Yeah. And I, I, I analogize it to skydiving. One of my hobbies is um, skydiving. And I see people come to the drop zone, they call it, with uh, free falling. And they'll show up and then they'll leave. Then they'll come back the next day. They'll walk around, maybe kick the tires of the airplane. 
And eventually one day they've done enough prep work. You can see they've done enough questioning all the people that are jumping out doing 150 miles an hour on a, a free fall. And they'll go, oh, I'm ready to tandem. And so the advocacy, as we're speaking about who's ready and who's not, it's an incremental process. It's a process that needs to take baby steps and whatever that individual needs to prepare for it. Because at the end of the day, you could be free falling, your parachute might not open and you're dead, or someone might save you. And so we have to be mindful of what we need to do that experience, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, oftentimes I hear people will say, you know, um, well, I've I've done three grams, so I think I'm ready for five grams of psilocybin now. Or, oh man, I really got to do ten. Or, you know, you hear this guy uh, Kalindi Lee talking about eating forty grams. <laughs> I mean, and that that is mind boggling to me. You know, when when I'm thinking, and so I'm, I'm I wonder if it if it's it, is there sort of a hierarchy that one needs to sort of because you're talking about inter- incremental, and I agree too. Like you know, get yourself familiar with the space. You know, get yourself familiar. If you've never left your hometown, go to the next town over, see what that's like before going to you know Korea. Right. Um, so, but in terms of like. When say someone is, you know, working with this in an intentional way, is there a need to, is there a linear path in terms of like dosage and depth, Mm. or is it really just kind of based upon how you're, what you need and what you're looking for at that particular time? Yeah, I think that's a two pronged question. And it's, um, I'll speak to it from my personal vantage point as a, a clinician and then recreationally. I think people, first of all, need to open up to their intuition what their intuitive desire is. If they have history or a historical background with it, Mike, then at least they know what kind of the fundamental starting blocks are. If they've never done it before, obviously the advice is to talk to someone, do the appropriate research. But my um, vantage point is, is what I call a psycho-integrative dose. Like, I love, you know, Terrence McKenna, and I hear him at the beginning of your introduction, and I think he's an advocate. Five grams is one thing. 40 grams, I don't even understand that, to be honest with you. And what I'm trying to say is we need to be able to integrate it rather than psycho-disassociative dose. If if we're, like, out and we're way beyond Pluto and we don't – and what I see with clients is they come back on a heavy dose – and they don't know what's going on. They're disconnected from the experience. And that's what I call a psycho-disassociative dose. That's unique to each person based off of both experience and emotional and psychological kind of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the psycho-integrative dose within like three to five grams, you can do a shit ton of work within that and not need to be like, going out any further, in my opinion. And that's just from my vantage point, And it's my personal experience that there should be something to be able to come back with to digest, right? So, yeah, something to, br- something to bring back, right? Right. I mean, yeah. I've always been confused. And I understand and I honor the lineage. And I don't, um, I don't get it. But like when people are doing a dose here, and then taking two days off and do a dose, there's no sober time to digest the first experience. Right. Sometimes I hear that with people coming back from ayahuasca ceremonies. They had four cer- ceremonies. The first one blew their head off. And then before you know it, like the fourth and fifth one, they don't even remember what happened the first one. And oftentimes that's reported. And that that's kind of alarming to me because that could be some fruitful information 
low hanging fruit that could be potentially worked with. So mm-hmm. that's just a vantage point. But you know, if people want to do it, that's follow their intuition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that's, that's good. I think that listen, yeah, listening to that intuition, because a lot of times, you know, it also brings up kind of like, you know, safety in the space as well, which you mentioned also, you know, and there's a lot of people now saying, you know, oh, I'll, I'll sit for you or I'm a guide or, you know, I know about integration or, you know, I've had a couple experiences. So, you know, I could kind of tell you what's up, but, uh, it, it, you know, it, it brings up like the, the efficacy, like, you know, of, of the whole kind of, you know, procedure here. And so like our procedure, not procedure, but you know, yeah, I get um, what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So for sure. Yeah. The, the experience, the, the holding space and all, and, 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 and everything that's entailed with that. So, you know, I, I suppose that it would be a good idea for people to, and this is what I always try and do is do the research, read, but like measure within myself. Does this match my intuitive feelings? You know, would you say that, uh, that that's like a good way to kind of go about it? Because there's so much research out there, especially when people who don't know, and they're just saying, oh, well, this person says this and they, they seem credible. So I'm just going to go with that. Right. And I think you know, your, your prudency around your intuition is vital. And I also think culturally speaking right now, because of this gold rush of psychedelics, which is cool, and I, you know, I honor it and I love it. My concern is, is it's a little bit egoic in the sense that when Terrence McKenna said five grams, and then now all these people are just blowing by that by saying, well, my heroic dose is 15 dried. And I'm like, you know, full disclosure, what the fuck? Like, what's the ego in that? Like, what Mm. aren't you getting in the darkness of five grams? And please inform me. Please help me. And all, all, I'd love to listen and open up dialogue. But culturally speaking, it's again, it's trying to the one up sensation of, oh, I'm going to do, you know, this huge dose of psilocybin or my my latest is what I hear a lot of people is defining what a micro dose is. And I'm like blown away. I'm like, no, you're not supposed to feel it as Fathomin talks about. You know, yeah. but why? The, why? The subperceptual why are the, dose. Yeah. Right. Why are the walls melting when you're microdosing? I don't help me better understand that. And what are you running away from? Like the question mm. would be then too. What are you running away from? What is it that you can't do within this realm, right? Psychically or emotionally or psychologically with a five gram dose, or be it you know, 200, you know, mics. I don't know. I'm, it's, it's a question that I'm open to dialogue. I would just love to learn more of the vantage point of why we're doing 40. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as far as I know, there's only one person that's mm-hmm. doing that and right. talking about that. And but more yeah. power to them, but it's, it's interesting. It is interesting. I, I, you know, I, cause I wonder, cause he, you know, he does talk, he talks about learning things or even mentions like encountering uh, malevolent entities and, you know, all these kinds of things. And, you know, drawing comparisons between the DMT realm and the psilocybin realm. I mean, we, you know, we talk about all these realms, but really are they, are they separate realms? Like where do they, where are they? They're in our minds. They're in with the substance. Each substance brings its own sort of space that we can play in, but ultimately we're going to an, an altered state experience, right? I mean, or is this like, yeah, I kind of have a hard time sort of wrapping my head around like these different realms like of existence. And like, do people 
people report the same things. Now are people reporting the same things because they've heard other people talk about those things and they're bringing that into the experience and they're projecting that. And those are the symbols that make sense to them and how they can make sense of the experience. Like it's so, there's so many questions around this. There are so many questions and this is just a shout out to what you're doing with this podcast. It's educational, it's informed and it's uh, a prudency of kind of checking in like with just everyone's vantage point. And that's what I love about what you're doing here, because at the end of the day, there's so much information via the Internet. And there's so much information of people wanting to like read something and then do it themselves and more power to them. And I'm really appreciative of it. But please do it with some sort of scope of pragmatic like, OK, and that goes back to the preparation. Why I ask the question all the time, speaking of your purpose, reflect on what you got out of the last one. What's your expectation for this one? And ultimately, potentially what could happen? That's my prep acronym. I, I broken record. Purpose, reflect on what the past one did and is it resolved or unresolved? What's your expectation for this coming up journey? And potentially what could happen? <laughs> like, yeah. are, are you prepared to see, you know, Kali rip you apart and say you're done? You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's a thing. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you brought that up because, you know, that's that's sort of in that preparation state. Like there's certain people that will just say, well, I don't want to think about that because I don't want to bring any negative thoughts into this space. But mm. I mean, I don't know, I, you know, thoughts shape reality. Okay. I get that. Right. Yep, but, yep, yep. but how much, like we have to be willing to sort of acknowledge at least that we're fully surrendering to the experience. Right. But when you're fully surrendering the experience, you're, you have to make a pact with yourself or a, a covenant of like, I'm willing to just totally open up to whatever is. Yeah. Totally. Um, Right. Otherwise, yeah. maybe maybe setting intentions like I remember down in Peru at the ayahuasca center, a lot of people would say, yeah, I'm just going to set an intention. Like, I just want to experience love. And like the next night they're like, yeah, I just want to experience like, you know, uh, desire, love, like, you know, passion, you know, these kinds of things. And maybe they're really de- like keeping that anchor point so focused on that thing that they're trying to bring like contain the experience is right. what I'm getting at. Right. And then maybe you're never going to those depths that you really need. Yeah. And so a lot of times what I speak about is a combination of um, the it's a funnel. Like we want to make sure that it's not too general to the point that we're unable to. kind. Of, we have like 17 different intentions and then we're like jumbled by what we got out of it. And we don't want to be like honed into like what you're just saying. So specific that we have like the blinders on that we don't see everything else coming our way because we're so looking. And I see that a lot with the experiences. People will have this real honed attention or intention and they are alarmed that they didn't see anything else because they didn't see what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And so I invite the combination of an intention and an inner healer. And Stan talks about the inner healer, and I love the inner healers. Then be open to the experience. It's like watching a movie. The first time you see it, you see one thing. The 10th time you see it, you see 15 other things. We can't walk with blinders, right? And that's yeah. the value of metaphors is, okay, so you can have an intention, but also be open to surrendering to what is. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So it's, it's a, what I love about psychedelics is it's full of contradictions. We can be hypocrites and we can go, this works for one thing and this doesn't work for the other. You have to kind of, again, personalize it. Personalize it totally. I mean, there's nothing more personal. Right. Is I can't think of I anything can't. else that's more personal. No. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then you must get a lot of questions, I guess, about bad trips, right? I think that that's probably a, a concern because I definitely do, you know, when talking to people who are unfamiliar about psychedelics and they'll, you know, oh, well, I, you know, I'm just, I'm worried. I don't want to have a bad trip. I, you know, and, and a lot of people have talked about this and I know, you know, Zendo makes the distinction between bad trip and challenging experience and, you know, the, these different kinds of things. But ultimately, if we're going in with an intention or a purpose for healing, it's probably going to be, there's probably going to be some shit in there. <laughs> without a doubt, without a doubt. And one of the things I tether to Mike, and it's a great question about bad trips is there was um, an amazing dream expert, um, Jeremy Taylor. And Jeremy Taylor would say, similar to Zendo, there's no such thing as a bad dream, only information that's given, right? And so it's a non-judgmental base, right? And Terrence and also his brother Dennis talk about these as compounds. They're neutral compounds. We're bringing in the persecution of judgment to these compounds. And so if we can really keep that conversation open of saying, okay, these are neutral compounds. Yeah, I might have some bad stuff I have to work with. That's healing, right? It's, it's like going through rather than around. I talk about what are we going to and what are we going through? And it could be some tough stuff, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, it could be. And I think, and there's always tough stuff. You know, I, I, I think that, uh, even, even the people that are doing, you know, like I look at some of the, uh, ayahuascaros and the Shipibo people that I was with. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're encountering tough stuff. Like people, people think with their, they've got it all figured out. I mean, they're encountering tough stuff too. You have to, I, I think you have to, uh, to know, all of the uh, tough stuff that's coming up for everybody else as well. So this notion of being someone who's like a completely healed person, I'm not sure if I necessarily think that that's, I think it's, it's fluid. It is, uh, it's a hundred percent fluid. It's a hundred percent fluid. And if anyone in the world, be it therapeutically or personally says that it's going to go away, they're full of bullshit. I believe trauma, grief, loss, resentments, healing storylines, past life regressions, that it's always going to be within us. It's how we manifest it and giving it more breath and more space to look at it. And it's the classic example. They say a psychedelic experience will give you um, what was in your face trauma or grief and broaden it out to that 35,000 foot viewpoint. It's, it's, it's what I use the term of a teapot. The tea kettle is water. It moves into steam and it dissipates into something else. The molecules are changing. The space is bigger and the steam goes out into a bigger space. It's just like any grief. And I I have a hard time when people hold on to that. It's that magic pill again, that something's going to, it just seems contradicting, go away from you. It's just like going to leave you that storyline you have to honor that storyline to go back to your idea of bad trips. 
where in the world can't you honor that? Just like when we were talking about death and that stoic Catholic kind of viewpoint of now everyone's going to cry for 24 hours and then you got to get back to work. Yeah. Let's give some space to honor it, revere it and ritualize it, be it bad, Mm -hmm. good or indifferent, really ritualize it. And that's a part of it. Yeah. I mean that it just brings into the, it's just like, this is the whole thing, right? I mean, it's, this is a, this is a way of life. Right. You know, this is this is a path. This is a a path for people who want to, in my opinion, want to really live in the raw juice of the experience of life. And the only way to do that is to go to the depths. But the same kind of capacity that that you have for living at the highs is going to be you're going to feel it at those lower lows. Like the, like you said, the space increases. It's like you go from riding a bicycle to driving, you know, a, a, a truck that's right. just, you're, you're, you got more responsibility. There's more there. You're still driving, yeah. but it's, it's, you know, um, and, and that brings, it brings a question. That's, that's a lot of personal responsibility and that personal responsibility requires a lot of time. And that time isn't allotted to us. Like you were saying, like, one day to grieve and then you go back to work. I think in the DSM, uh, they were saying that like, oh yeah, you know, one, two weeks is good enough for bereavement. Yeah. Bereavement and, and things like that. And it's like, what, how is this acceptable? Right. Right. And I think that's the Westernized vantage point that we have to challenge both, not just in psychedelic work, but what I call psychedelic lifestyle, right? Not walking around high all day long, but integrating it in the way you parent, integrate it in the way you relate to people. One of the blessings we have in such a divisive culture right now is to challenge ourselves to show up, right? Be it with our children, be it with our coworkers, be it with our partners, be it with our spouses. It's like, fuck, what a great opportunity to live psychedelically without walking around stoned all day long, you know what I mean? And be like, this is what I got from these psychedelic experiences. And now how am I going to integrate and implement them? Yeah. Psychedelic escapism. Right. Or psychedelic materialism. Right. It's pretty right. wild. Bypassing. I mean, these things, these things, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's so much here, like, you know, in terms of what you're saying about like the ego and, you know, that you, th- there's a tendency, I think, for a lot of people to think, well, yeah, I, I take a lot of psychedelics and I'm, you know, I meditate and stuff. So, so I'm good. Like I'm, you know, my ego is not in this game. <laughs> I mean, all the while yeah. doing 16 grams instead of five or doing, yeah, it's cool. It's all good. And I, yeah. And I hear, I hear ego death a, a lot of the times, like, you know, people talk about the die, the dying of the ego. What's your, what's your take on that? Um, the dying of the ego is a great wonderment for me. I don't know. I think um, my inner change I have is um, the impermanence we live with of humility. Like when I hear dying of the ego, I ask a person, well, what's your relationship to humility? What's your, what's your, and when I say relationship to humility here now in this concrete sequential life, and what would it look like to not know your ego? Right. And so then I get to like use classical therapy and start to explore philosophically. Well, what is what does it serve you to have an ego death? Where will it bring you? What will you come back with? What's your relationship then? And that's, again, speaking on why it's so important, because we have a very short time here. What, what's the humility you're going to walk with? If you have a, 
death ego or an ego death, tell me what the outcome is going to look like. Bring me to what your everyday manifestation of an ego death is going to give you while you're here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's like the ego, the ego of the ego death. Right. Right. So then you're like, (laughs) okay, great. I got it. And that's what I have. A lot of people come into my office is they're seeking that I'm going to go down to Peru because I want an ego death or I'm going to go to Amsterdam. I want an ego death or I'm going to go into my basement. So, okay, great. So when you get that and you check that off, it's like living up to the Joneses. So then what's your next, what, 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 Oh, I'm going to do. And I hear that with a lot of people, Mike, they're like, Oh, you know, I had this experience with psilocybin. I'm going to do DMT now. Okay. So when you check that off, what's next? Oh, I'm going to do Bufo or 5-MeO because I heard that's a non-binary and I'm going to ego disillusion with five. Oh, great. So when you get there, then what's next? And more cases than that, they're like, oh, I need to go do a four-cup ceremony with you know Peru. Okay. And tell me how that's going to serve you. And it's not to be, you know, an, an asshole, but it's it's to explore, well, what do we keep going towards? Mm-hmm. And so this is why I love our conversation today is it goes full circle back to Alan Watts. So is it time to put the phone down temporarily and chew on it, right? Is it time? And I, I, again, is, is it time to go, okay, have I incorporated all this in my life? And why isn't this working for me too? What am I grasping at? What's the, you know, to use Buddhism. What's the hungry ghost that I'm trying to fulfill? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, I think everyone has one, too. Without a mani- doubt. And it manifests in different ways, in many different ways, psychedelic or not psychedelic, you know? I mean, you see it, see it happening all over the place. I got to ask, what, where does astrology come into <laughs> to this? Because <laughs> well, I've, always, I've always been fascinated by it. And, um, you know, certain people in my lives have been into it. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I've, my main resistance has always been, I don't like some outside force dictating my destiny. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But I don't necessarily feel that way now. I have a, a, a broader scope of what I believe it to be, but I'm wondering, you know, what, what, cause you mentioned it in the book and you talk about it and it's, it's pretty fascinating and, and the people that you bring up and, and their things that they have to say about it. Yeah. And so um, before I go deeper into astrology, a lot of these suggestions are um, suggestions. And I believe astrology is a suggestion. So Mm -hmm. I think I I use archetypal astrology under the um, idea of Rick Tarnas and the cosmos and psyche. Stan is a firm believer. And so under the lineage of Stan myself, I, I, I gravitated towards it. And through my dissertation, and when I was doing my PhD work, I, I started to recognize my psychedelic experiences were um, interesting after I would read my chart. And so I wouldn't use my, my, my birth chart or my transits as a juncture for my psychedelic experience. Oftentimes I would read them after and see if there was anything that was alignment or, you know, it's like pulling a tarot card. You can make sense out of everything. Everyone can justify everything. So the cautionary right. tale, Mike, is I honor and totally respect. Yeah, astrology, you can make sense out of everything and you can, you know, justify it and put it in the compartment. The idea behind astrology is it's it's also a system that can give answers to. So it's just another tool for someone and to get into the theory 
left brain, right brain. Maybe you're more right brained and you want more esoteric things. So then it could give you a permission to consider, hey, this is more, you know, philosophical, not so much science. And it challenges the ideas of what we see. If it works for you, it works for you. A lot of what Stan saw was there was planetary alignments during these these big things that are related to his birth natal processes, right? The perinatal. So he he actually then overlapped astrology with birth things such as so if there's like a constriction of Saturn or a Pluto uprising that could manifest in your psychedelic session. Right. And, and these are, um, these are, these are very, you know, these are ancient things, uh, totally. you know, you know, so, so there's some, there's something there, obviously, right. right? To say the least. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, but uh, but it, it goes back to sort of this making it personal to you and kind of choosing the sort of you know like flavor of your experience and and coloring it in a way that you, that feels that feels comfortable to you. So with psychedelic use and I you know I guess like the then integration of it, uh, I'm wonder I'm curious about the history in terms of like psychedelic use and planets and like the, the lunar cycle and the seasons and, and all these sorts of things, because it seems like there's a lot there uh, that, that sort of uh, doesn't really get brought up and you're kind of bringing it up here. And I, I think it's pretty cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. I want people to have an expressive experience that makes it align to them so they can go, oh yeah, this relates to me, right? So when I started to do the astrology and now I'm big into astrology and tarot and before you know it, like I've got like all this shit, but I, then I just release it. If it, it, it kind of gives that ritualistic side of things. Historically yeah. speaking, the, many cultures have been doing this. And so to appreciate and honor their rituals makes it that much more enjoyable. And I believe the more we do it, systematically we start to see kind of evidence being built upon it so every time i'll do a birth chart with a client we might find some nuances of oh hey wow so there's a real alignment of venus and mars so there's a lot of feminine and masculine energy and not to get into astrology here but they're they're in conjunction with each other so that might bring up this deep kind of violent you see what i mean it might be like a catalyst for triggering a certain kind of emotional state memory regret something like that potentially yeah okay and and at the end of the day there's a lot of just playing with it right there's a lot of priming so without the term manipulation it's priming we're just inviting so i can't tell somebody if they want to bring you know some rose quartz crystal into the session or if they want to burn sage that's going to prime something within them, right? That That's theirs to prime. For me, I think it's, you know, anecdotal for me. I have certain preparation and ideas that I want to kind of give myself some depth to explore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It could be something as simple as historical representation of the clinical stuff too. A lot of people like the physics stuff, you know, they want the science, the new science, the akashic records they want to know you know physics they want to talk about black holes and shit and if that's their trip that's their trip yeah totally and we have so much to draw upon i mean like we live we live in such an amazing age where the access to information and knowledge it's it's all 
it's a lot of it is available. I wouldn't say maybe all, maybe there's some secret stuff. That's yeah, maybe there. Away. Yeah, yeah. That's but, at uh, the 47 grams. 47 grams <laughs> unlocked like Mario Brothers or some shit. It's like the next level of the... <laughs> yeah, go to your local Masonic Lodge and take 50 grams and <laughs> you'll find something. But 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 yeah, so like what... Uh, what is there a particular sort of um, ancient or historical ritual process or ceremonial aspect that really um, that you connect with or that you appreciate or think is pretty cool? Yeah, um, I advocate with preparation. I, I'm a fond believer of fasting. I think fasting 24 hours before a session sets, uh, again, the term I like to use is priming, starts reverence. It builds reverence and respect. I love um, cleansing ritual of water. So I invite the elements quite often, uh, bringing in a bath or a shower uh, the day of, or and just kind of really the purification process. Gentle walks, it starts to sound like, wow, dude, Ryan, you have like a six-hour preparation process before you die. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's the idea of using the elements, right? Bringing in mm-hmm. the elements, maybe... Um, the night before setting a fire, right? If you have a fire pit outside or if you connect with certain elements, bring those elements into your life. Yeah. And they don't have to be all, you know, it's not like witchcraft or doctoring up, like bringing in all the energies, but finding something through elements, I believe to answer your question in a different way, use the four elements, use your five senses Start to work with your five senses because, as we know, psychedelics plays within synesthesia. So you're hearing taste and you're seeing flavors and different things. So making sure that you're honing your flavor profile, your senses, your eyesight, so you know what's real, right? Really exploring the sounds. So when you do take your medicine or you do work with it recreationally, that you're, you're, you're grounded in knowing what was and what is. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, my next, my next question. What is, (laughs) what is, oh, it's uh, you tell me, I don't even know (laughs) where are we, right? What is, well, it's, it's for me again, it's physicality. It's going back to preparing yourself with, okay, this is what I know I'm challenged with mentally. Emotionally, this is my, um, safe, like kind of, uh, homeostasis checking in with homeostasis. What is, is, What's my orbit right now? So then I have kind of a litmus test of, and you know, what is uh, the prudency of me is uh, the healthy sitter that's sober. That's a sober sitter that you trust intimately. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned most recently is the sitters need to be having a therapeutic relationship of friendship because the person can dive deeper. One of the biggest things I've noticed is that people that don't have a tight relationship, if there's a sitter or if they're recreationally exploring, it's going to always kind of either limit the experience or it's going to bring up challenges because of the trust. And an advocacy I have today and recently is you have to have a tight relationship with the person you're sitting with or exploring recreationally with because it's going to only give you more space to dive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, one the questions that I, that I love the most are in it. And I think that's why I'm so fascinated by psychedelic experience. And I would assume probably you too is who are we, why are we here? What should we do? Uh, and you know, how can we make things better? 
Um, and yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, I'd like to hear like some of your thoughts around those, the, the, you know, these big metaphysical, uh, you know, situations or conundrums or predicaments that we sort of find ourselves in. I used, I used to sort of be in this state of like, sort of wobbling existential paralysis where I was like, man, like, especially after my first big ayahuasca experience, I just was like, okay, what the hell, you know? And, uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm wondering just, uh, I mean, I guess your, your subjective opinion, right? It's like, yeah. And thank you. Yeah. Go ahead. The, oh, the, I was just going to say what, what we're doing here. Yeah. What are we doing here is a great question. Um, what recently personally being subjective has come up for me is a uh, reassurance of compassion of walking in someone else's shoes learning to, no matter what their thought process is, is having the courage I've been learning to have a dialogue with people that don't have the same like-mindedness that I am walking with, being open to the challenges that they can offer you with openness. Uh, recently, I had a profound experience of deep connection to the environment, the soil, and so I'm deeply embedded with walking with a more precarious responsibility to our planet. Mm-hmm. Actively, um, psychologically, I'm challenged by mental health and just seeing how there's so much trauma in the world and what we can do to bring light to it. It's a never ending conversation. Right. And at the end of the day, I've come to peace with what's going to happen after I, whatever that is, be it me hanging out on planet Jupiter or wherever I go to hanging out with different spirits I've met on this life. That, that to me is a constant reminder of why I love psychedelics is it's reassurance for preparation of death. And I move backwards of leaving a a gentler footprint with love. Uh, Love leads, man. That's, you know, it sounds like a hippie cliche statement, but I do listen to the Grateful Dead. So it's love leads. It's it's how it is. I mean, if, 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 yeah, I guess Jesus and Buddha were hippies then, right? Because it, it all circles back to these, you know, the, what a lot of the religions of the world and the bigger ones are saying, which is, you know, do unto others as you would do unto yourself. And, you know, totally. um, you know, the having compassion and love and, you know, and it's just, um, yeah, it also, it all circles back to that. So it's like at the end of the day, as far out as you can get and go and to all these places, really when we're talking about walking in this world, you know, being kind and being, being kind. open. Yeah. And giving and also being and that's and not to be like steamrolled, but having critical conversations with people of like mindedness and of different mindedness. I think all too often today we're, we're so easily, especially with social media and all the other stuff on the Internet, is we're quick to um, isolate ourselves with everybody that's like minded. So then all of a sudden the conversation's just churning of, oh, yeah, I resonate all over you. I'm going to resonate all over you. You're the best. Everything's cool. We're all. And then you fight against the opposition. Mm. So, you know, I love Marshall Rosenblum, who wrote Nonviolent Communication. Let's open up a factual dialogue with people and communicate our feelings, our needs, and what we're requesting. And if both sides of the party are emotionally intelligent enough, we can have a very, very beautiful conversation. Yeah. It might be challenging as hell, but it, it will be leading towards something. 
Yeah, and isn't that what this is all about in in a, in a certain way too? I mean, what what would life be without the diversity and novelty of of experience coming through subjective eyes, you know, in billions of different ways? Right. So, you know, consciousness experiencing itself subjectively from the multiple points of view, I think is uh some there's something to be built out of that. We could build something beautiful or we could, you know, really fuck things up i think that you know i i prefer the the former yeah i love what you're saying it's it's, it's important to have that awareness for sure yeah so do i mean you're obviously the work that you do you're 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 in a realm of like you know people that are into this stuff and but you you mentioned that you kind of try and have conversations with people that are different minded and i i do too um how how does that go sometimes though? Because it's it it almost feels like sometimes when you're talking to somebody that's so uh, different that they just they can't really there's no sort of bridge to 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 get them to understand your worldview or where you're coming from. You know, I think we see that play out. You know, in in our politics and everything all over the place, right? And I'm not to say that it works every time, and um, I wouldn't dare say that, but as a psychedelic integration therapist that advocates for psychedelics, as well as I'm also a sex therapist that talks a lot about some pretty sexual, like open conversations. The biggest thing that I come up against is people needing to seek more understanding. And so because I'm already in a position of with these kind of open ideas and these concepts that might already be pushed back. Say someone thinks psychedelics is drugs, for example. Well, already I'm kind of only standing on one foot. My advocacy for people and my invitation to people is I need to seek more understanding from them. What is it that they don't fucking understand about my position? And I challenge myself then to become more articulate more open and more suggestible to my, and then what's the greatest part, then it, it asserts me to go, okay, yeah, I really do fucking believe what I'm saying. They might not understand it. So now I need to find a different formula, a different way of speaking, but I have to ask them, what is it that they're missing? Mm, what parts yeah. of using psychedelics for medicine and healing don't you understand? Then I, at least I have a benchmark. I can go, okay. It's drugs. You were raised in the 50s. You see it as, you know, the Reagan era of, you know, dare, whatever. Okay, now I can go somewhere with that. If I just assume to get on my, you know, soapbox and just start blabbing, I don't know where they're at. And mm -hmm. so, again, seeking understanding of where they're at is vital to me. Then I can at least go, okay, this is how articulate I am. Or maybe it catches me and says, wow, Ryan, you're a hypocrite. You need to challenge yourself on that thought process. Yeah. I didn't know you were also a sex therapist. Yeah. So I, I, I'm a sex therapist that works within um, sexual trauma, sexual addiction, and, and they're quite a beautiful um, intersection. I see a lot of psychedelic working, helping with sexual healing and sexual trauma, and as well as sexual addiction. So really kind of advocate for two um, kind of parallel processes at this moment. Yeah, because like I was mentioning before about how it's like, or we were talking about it being psychedelic experience being the most personal experience you could have. I mean, I guess the second one I would say would be a sexual experience. Like super. You know, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's just um and a lot of the times there's there is unfortunately there is a lot of uh sexual trauma that that comes up and and that can be really painful and difficult. And 
even maybe like repressed uh, memories that, that, that then pop up and then how do you deal with that? And Right. Yeah. And that, that, that's where I think um, the intersection for me has been a very big blessing as I'm able to walk both kind of lines. I can feel into what that might be like, as well as the, the precarious judgment that both of these kind of realms offer. There's so much judgment in our culture around sexuality now and, and psychedelics that it gives a, a, a really open space for people to feel safe and not judged and kind of still discern what their feelings are, or what their experiences have been. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, you're judged as, yeah, uh, whatever, you know, a slut or whatever it can be, or even judged as a druggie, a hippie, you know, all this kind of stuff. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of judgment, but you know, yeah. And in, in the work that you're doing and the book that you put together, it's really like, you know, kind of out trying to outline basically all of the ways in which one can go about properly preparing and then exploring and, you know, making sense of these things, because, you know, that's, that's, that's what we need to do. Oftentimes people ask me about, you know, the, the psychedelic experience and stuff or what is needed. And I just say, you know, really right now, it's just great to just be open and educate because then when, when, you know, it's not as, maybe you'll, you'll be less to judge, like you were just saying with the conversations. Right, without a doubt. And I, I always, I deeply appreciate this conversation for that reason. I, I like to say, if you've never been to India, there's no explanation given. If you've <laughs> been to India, there's also no explanation given. And it's the same with psychedelics. If you've never tried psychedelics, I can't give you the explanation. You can go do it, and then you'll have your own explanation. But I, I'm not going to superimpose what your expectation is or what the outcome's going to be. I'm going to give you enough freedom to go, okay, am I ready for it? Yes, then do it. And then here I'll give you kind of a platform to look at. And that's what the book's all about is really cultivating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cultivate. Cultivate it, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's a process, right? Without and, a doubt. Yeah, and and so it's it's like yeah, there's, there's so much. And I think that when you're embarking on a process, there's a tendency to sort of wanting to be kind of postmarking your way along, but it doesn't always go in a linear path, right? Absolutely like, not. No way. No way. I, I've noticed this personally, like rec- even recently, like I was dealing with some really kind of heavy stuff and I'm like, cool. I thought I moved past this, but now all of a sudden it's reemerging. What the hell? I'm back to position one i thought it was like the i thought the stages of grief went in this order like why why am i back here yeah and so having that awareness then you can do something with it right yeah and if the minute we've i think that's where we start to build shame and guilt for ourselves is we're like oh goodness i didn't pass that benchmark or i i went past that kind of guidepost i i should be evolved that's where i like to use the term acclimation right Climbing Mount Everest, you don't just go from the bottom to the top. There's an acclimating point. And what I've learned through my own research about that is more people are dying going down because they think they hit the summit and they're fucking like the best. Well, you have to be prudent about your acclimation. So if it's with grief or trauma or healing or spiritual emergence, there's an acclimating point at every given level, even after you think you made it to the top. That's where humility comes in and you're just like, Okay, yeah. what do I need to do? Who do I need help from? Reaching out mm-hmm. for support. What can I do by myself? This is huge. Yeah, I I've oftentimes struggle with this myself too because it's like 
I, t- I get the message, I hang up the phone and I go, you know, I like to, I'm a problem. I like to solve problems. So I go, Oh, I get it. I see how this Rubik's cube works. I figured it out. Totally cool. I could put that and start working on something else. Right. But then, and, and it's a tendency to be like, well, I've, I've been experienced with this, but you really, we really need each other. I mean, the community and that, why are other people here other than to, you know, lean on for support and for community and for connection, right? That's a, that's a massive part of this thing, I think, because, you know, oftentimes people ask me about my experience down in Peru and I'll say, you know, really one of the things that I remember the most is the community, the friendships, the, the connection. Yep. It's yeah. very, it's very interwoven and I think it becomes isolating. And if you're not talking with each other, it, it goes back to the analogy of we're not all just teachers. We're also students. And if you, the minute you stop being a student, that that's kind of a conundrum of, Hey, what are you shutting away off? What are you shutting from? What are you turning away from? And being open to suggestion, being open to people supporting you. I mean, the community at large, especially this community, it's so, so wonderful, but it's a matter of reaching out and saying, Hey, this is where I want. This is what I need. This is what I'm looking for. Can you support me in this? Yeah. And a little bit of like, yeah, like you said, humility and vulnerability too, right. you know, to huh. say like, oh, you know, Hey, look, I, I know that you might think that I'm in this position of experience or authority or credibility, but I'm struggling with something and I need help. Right. I mean, right. that that's, that's a big part of it too. Yeah. Tons sure. of it. And that's what I loved about your word earlier is the symbiosis of it. We're all different, but yet we're interwoven. And it's, it's, again, it's a fantastic journey to, to embark on with each other. Fantastic planet. Um, yeah. So what was your favorite part of, I want to ask you two questions. I'll, I'll just, maybe I'll just start with one. I won't give you the two pronged thing, but yeah. So what was your favorite, most exciting part of the book? And I guess that ties into like your favorite, most exciting, fun, the thing that really gets your neurons all tickled and firing up that you really like to dive into and talk about and write about, and you could do it endlessly, you know, for sure. uh, what, what, what is that for you? Well, the first part, the favorite part. So this book was self-published and the book is designed as a notebook. And I've gotten a lot of feedback of what, when's it going to be on Kindle. And my favorite part about it is, is I created it the way it is. So it's a, it's a huge notebook with a white cover. I want people to make it their own. I want people to get it deser- a little dirty I did the art. It's from top to bottom. It's been a labor of love. And I just want people to make it their own. So color on it, do whatever, write notes in it. And that is my favorite part, is the opportunity to give it to somebody and create. Love it. The self-publishing was a little not, it's crazy. Publishing, paper's expensive. That was a little weird. What I love to write about and what I could write about endlessly, I love writing about the idea of what's on the horizon, what the prudent... People are like, oh, he must be such a psychedelic advocate and he wants to talk about like psychedelics all day long. What I want to do is I want to I love writing about making people think outside the box of, hey, maybe I don't need this all the time. And can I do it recreationally? Can I do it? And I love writing about that. It seems so divisive right now, Mike, recreation versus therapeutic. And I'm just uh, like a mutt right in between. And I think there's value in both. So trying to explore what the value of recreational use is, what the value of therapeutic use is, and it's a constant evolving churning experience. How to show up with your parenting. I have a 14 year old and I'm like, oh, 
how am I going to talk about this? She's, she can read. <laughs> Her friends can Google me. <laughs> so writing about prudent ways to really, and I know you teach uh, young kids too. So it's the idea of how do we articulate our expression so we're not evoking recreational craziness, but honor and reverence because they're so brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. So a lot of that writing is towards the children. I want to write to give them kind of a forum of, you know, how to do it safe, sane and, you know, consensual. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah. I mean, because like, yeah, you're talking about on the horizon. I mean, who else is on the horizon than the, you know, the people that are coming after us, the next generation. Yeah. And, it, and it, I wish that I had, you know, uh, the, the, the knowledge, the, the sane like you said, knowledge and, and the appropriate proper education of what drugs are and what psychedelics are and what altered states are and, you know, who these, these people are. I, it wasn't until later in life that I found, I didn't learn this in school. Right. I didn't learn, you know, how to use my mind and how to think and what trauma is and all this stuff. So I can only imagine kids getting into this kind of stuff now in a proper manner are going to be so much more well-equipped and, and, and deepening themselves into the wholeness and totality of what a human being and a human experience can be within interpersonal connections, community, society at large. Man, yeah. this, this is world-changing. It's super world-changing, and our, our children are the answer to that because, you know, we didn't have dance safe back then and, you know, gratitude to these. But they're they're answering it. You know, they're playing with some prescription drugs. They're doing – but they, they need to be continuously educated. And what I'm recognizing is they're at least open-minded to have the dialogue. They're not afraid of it. They're not insecure about, oh – what about the medicines is different than Xanax, for example, or what's different than codeine, for example? They're able to see with a real formulated intelligence. They're like, okay, I understand plant medicines versus this or recognizing uh, synthetics versus organic. It's, it's a fundamentally amazing conversation to have with the youth. Yeah. And I think we're shifting out of the the kind of fear-based dominator control paradigm yeah. that's been yeah. in existence since the dawn of civilization and, right. you know, real religions and government, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's just the cat's out of the bag. You know, more and more people are waking up. And when you have people informed and educated at a young age, they're not going to go back. They're not going to no. go, they're not going to buy into the, to the fear-based trickery. Um, yeah, Ryan, thank you so much for, for being here. I feel like um, I definitely would like to have you on again because I, I want to um, like I want to read the entire book. And it's 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 so it's so good. And it's like and I'm just it's like 400 and something pages. And, you know, oftentimes like having someone else on the show and they he wrote a book called The Secret Drugs of Buddhism and people are sending me stuff all the time. So it's like, yeah, anyway, but but I, I would love to know uh, maybe we can. Um, can close off on some things uh, about you. Uh, what do you do? What are your like sort of daily practices or uh, ways in which you find yourself kind of showing up fully in the world? I guess, you know, maybe outside of the psychedelic experience it doesn't necessarily have to be outside, but not, it doesn't have to be focused on it either. Just uh, maybe some thoughts or practices or ideas or habits that you put into play that kind of help you stay consistent and, and showing up and, and being able to serve and, and give and, and put your work out there and, and do the best that you can. Well, I appreciate it, Mike. And before I do that, I just want to thank you. This has been an awesome conversation and the gratitude I have is amazing for the platform. You're doing awesome work. Thank you. Yeah. I think extending myself with gratitude is a challenge that needs to be a daily challenge. Uh, 
And that's one of the things I work with and find peace in. I think the idea of um, rest in between, we, we have this tendency today in our culture of go, 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 uh, consuming and digesting without um, processing. So I uh, want to just release the idea of just continuously tackling more and more and more. And so my latest ritual is attempting to kind of minimize grabbing at things and really just honoring the simplicity, finding ways to stay simple participating, you know, in basics. I'm completely captivated with, you know, the just that minimalistic lifestyle trying to work that. I think it's an ever-flowing opportunity. And when um, living in Minneapolis, you know, challenging myself to get out in the dark and the snow, it's like, you know, finding all the elements to be really rewarding. Uh, you know, the psychedelics have taught me that, the, the seasons and everything. Just, yeah really trying to meet more and more people and having healthy conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, every time you say something, I always feel like I get a new thought, but yeah, like meeting new people and having conversations. And I'm just thinking about the psychedelic experience and the kind of, you know, the, what we experience in that realm. And it's like meeting new and experiencing new. Right. So it's like bringing that into the world. I mean, people are psychedelic. Totally. The world is psychedelic. So it's like that in and of itself is a portion that you could bring back to really infuse that sort of landscape into the everyday life by just meeting new people and talking to new people. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And not being hesitant to flip over the rock that's already been flipped over and say, did I miss something? Right. Yeah. The viewpoints, again, the, the watching the movie for the fifth time. Have I seen this before? Is there something new that's being profoundly shown to me? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I've probably seen The Big Lebowski 25 times. And every time I watch it, I find something. <laughs> right. It's the best. It's the best. Awesome, All the way yeah. down to the sweater and the flip flops and the little white Russians. Let's rock it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, dudism. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. It means a yeah. lot to me. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, uh, let's let's do let's do it again. Let's do another one. I would I, love to. I, I'd love to. Um, you know, oftentimes I feel like when I'm talking to uh, people that are so, you know, have so much experience and and knowledge that I'm I'm like I'm like, I feel like I'm like skating along the surface. I'm like, oh, am I asking good questions? Am I going in the right direction? So yeah, I'd love to dive even deeper when I'm when I have more, when I have more under my belt. I would love to. And I honestly, it would be fun because I know I, I shared with you the sexuality component too. And I think that's one of the biggest kind of conundrums right now is helping people understand their sexuality through working with psychedelics and what that looks like. And it's kind of another um, rabbit trail all, all in of itself and just healing specific trauma around that. Definitely huge. So huge. Yeah. Your sure. work is, I, I love the diversity of it. Your podcast, it's fun to listen to all the different things and the topics. It's, it's great. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to really increase that diversity too this year and really just bring in more of it because it's, it's much, much needed, I think. Yeah. And it, and it's entertaining for me because I just, I love learning about new things. Yeah. Too. I know what, a, what, yeah. An, what an awesome position to be in. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. Um, you know, for, the, for the people listening out there, it's the Psychedelics Integration Handbook. Um, Ryan Westrom, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, is there uh, places where people should go? Um, should they go to a website or should they follow you? I think uh, you're on Instagram. I know I see you on there. So uh, yeah, tell the people where they where they can go. Yeah, there's um, three kind of places. Of course, the Amazon Monster. You can get the book on Amazon. We also have um, psychedelicintegration.net 
is where you could buy the book from my website. I have another website called Healing Souls, S-O-U-L-S-L-L-C.com, where that is um, preliminary and primary sexuality as well as psychedelic information. And then my Instagram is uh, Psychedelic Integration. Awesome. Yeah, all this. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. All right. Until next time, folks. Peace. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you did, go and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a five-star rating and a review if you feel like writing something. Uh, That would be great. It helps the show a lot. helps us bump us up in the uh, Apple algorithm, get the podcast exposed to more people. So if you like the show, go ahead and do that. If you want to go a step further, go to patreon.com slash Mike Frank. You can donate, become a patron. Be a part of the Mikeadelic Inner Sanctum WhatsApp chat group of people chatting and connecting all around the world. We're finding the others, bringing them together, creating community. One of my favorite things to offer. I also release bonus episodes. Sometimes I do episodes that are kind of raw and kind of beta test them for the producers of the show, which are my patrons, the people who support the show. Big shout out to everybody that's a patron. Thank you for your love and support. If you want to do a one-time donation, go to my website, mikebrank.com. Go to PayPal and do a one-time donation if you feel that. And uh, I really like the method of donation. It's a, it's a gifting mentality. And reading Charles Eisenstein's books recently and his talks have really kind of made me embrace the spirit of the gift, of giving and gifting. And what better time than this holiday season to be generous and to give. And, you know, if you like the show, just tell, tell people about it, spread it, share it. Also, contact me. Go to my email uh, on my website, the contact page, mikebrank.com. Reach me on Instagram, mikeadelic underscore podcast. Hit me up on Facebook. Send me your messages. Send me your thoughts. Send me guest suggestions, ideas. Share your story with me. Reach out. Give me feedback. What do you like? What don't you like? And uh, I love to hear from people. I always respond. So uh, you can go ahead and do that. If you're interested in CBD, we have Hemp Bombs as a sponsor. You can go to hempbombs.com, get all kinds of CBD stuff. And um, I used to take their their gummies. I think I'm going to start taking them again. I ran out, so I got to get some more. But uh, they're really good. And um, yeah, check it out. If you're interested in CBD, you want to give it a try, put in the code Mike15 at checkout and get 15% off all of your CBD wants, desires, needs, and so forth. Big shout out to Danny Barnett and Galaxia for the music, the intro and the outro. And uh, of course, thanks to Muse, who uh, I mash up their song and put the Terrence McKenna clips and everything in without their permission, but somehow I'm still able to do it. So thanks, because I love that. And uh, what else? I don't know. Thank you so much to everybody for your love and support for listening. And yeah, I really, uh, really, 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 from the bottom of my heart, really can't express how grateful I am that out of all the podcasts out there that you choose this one to listen to. And uh, yeah, uh, like I said, let's really make this a collaborative effort. If there's something that you hear, that you notice, you know, something going on with the show that you're like, hey, you used to do this or you do that, or I'd like to see this, or hey, did you ever think about that? Shoot me a message. I'm open. I communicate. I message back. I like this to be a collaborative effort. I want more community involved in this. So anyway, thanks. And uh, till next time, peace.